1: Well, welcome everyone to Kidney Talk. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about innovation and changing the way we do dialysis in the future. Uh, We're with a pioneer, Dr. Victor Gura. He is an associate clinical professor of medicine at the Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. And his company, Wearable Artificial Organs Incorporated, was just issued a patent for a combination of wearable and stationary dialysis system. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gura.
0: Pleasure to be here.
1: So how long, I know you've been working on this a long time, but let's just tell for our listeners, how long have you been working on this wearable artificial kidney?
0: About 21 years. Uh,
1: but who's counting, right? 21 years, six days and three hours, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And tell us a little bit, describe what it looks like to, to our listeners.
0: Well... It's interesting. When I started and I said we had to come up with a wearable, uh, people thought I'm crazy, which may be true. (laughs) But uh, since then, when I was uh, the only guy trying to do a wearable, now there are about 10 or so companies trying to do a wearable.
1: I guess you sparked the, the excitement about this. I mean, well, I know yeah, so it's always, it's, everybody wants
0: to make it wearable.
1: <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, it is the best form of flattery is being copied, right? I mean, it's not always fun when you put all the work into it. But um, uh, can you describe this wearable artificial kidney? Like if you had to use kitchen appliances or to give kind of a size.
0: Initially, the Model 1 was in a big breadboard and we used it on pigs. And it worked on pigs. Then we did the Model 2, and the Model 2 was uh, built and trialed in Italy uh, about probably 16 years ago. It was trialed with uh, Claudio Rongo, an excellent nephrologist and world famous, and uh, we made it work. The regulators said, we're not going to let you use that for more than six hours. That's how long you can use it. But we did. We didn't kill anybody. Nobody got sick and the same world. Then uh, we went to London. And that was 2007 or 2008. And we did another trial on humans. Still with the Model 2. And the Model 2 worked very well in London. And the regulators there said, you can use it for four hours, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and if nobody's dead and you didn't make anybody sick, call us and we'll let you go to eight.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean... So we went to
0: eight, uh and no, we didn't kill anybody. And the thing (laughs) worked?
1: It's always a good thing. And then
0: FDA, bless your heart, they're amazing, great people, came and said, okay, we'll help you to do the first human trial in the U.S., and they gave us an award for that. And the award was not a check. I don't think I even ever was given a diploma for that. <laughs> but the, the FDA, what they did, and it was great, is they said, we want to put a team to support you to make sure that you can fulfill all the requirements that we would have to, lead to do a human trial in the U.S. And they did.
1: That's awesome. And we, we worked I... with the
0: FDA team We had a weekly phone call for about a year. And they finally approved us to do the first human trial in the U.S., and we did. And that was the third human trial, and it was conducted in Seattle uh, in collaboration uh, with a couple of very famous people, Jonathan Himmelfarb and Larry Kessler, incredible geniuses. And we had a lot of fun and we did the model two in humans in the US.
1: So can you describe the device, Doctor Gura, just to give people a visual?
0: So the model two was eleven pounds. And patients loved it, but they say, I'll never walk out in the street with that thing. It looks like a flag jacket. And quite frankly, it was not intended for people to walk in the street. It was intended for just a trial to see what works and what doesn't. Right. And we learned a lot. And we learned a lot from the patient's opinions using this. And the patient said, we won't use that, but if you make it smaller and lighter, we would like that. By the way, if you go to YouTube, you can find one of the patients from that trial describing his own experiences.
1: Okay, we'll put a link in the page for the show for the YouTube Um, videos of patient experiences?
0: So the lessons we learned are the, still the Model 2 is too heavy. It's 11 pounds. And it's too obvious and too, uh, uh, you know, clear to the naked eye as something patients don't want to walk around with. So we said, well, we need to figure out a way of doing it even lighter. And uh, we're just thinking about it. In analyzing our own data, we figured out that we can use all the things we did, configure them properly, and come up with a device that is only two pounds.
1: That's awesome.
0: And uh, as that occurred, uh, we're now busy building the two-pound device from a, uh, a design pictures that you can find in YouTube in that site to the actual device and when we're done with that uh, we will do the next human trial and the next human trial is going to be in the US and in that trial uh, we will be using this uh, for seven days subject of course to the blessing of FDA but as we speak, we're busy building it and that trial is going to be of patients wearing the device and learning how to use it for two days in the hospital and then going home and do dialysis at home for another five days with a walk. Model
1: 3. And then you're going to see if they have um, good clearances after that time. Is that really the goal of that? You know, I know after they the have seven great days? clearances.
0: I know they have great clearances. Oh,
1: I- I'm just saying for the trial purposes, is that the, the of reason? Of course we will. Yeah.
0: But why do I know they have great clearances? In the bench, they do have great clearances. There's no reason for the clearances to be less on the unit. Oh, okay. Twice well, we said, yeah, we will do that.
1: Okay, now, so how does it work? Do you have just a a regular vascular access that you cannulate yourself with um, a catheter? How How does that work?
0: This will be only a catheter. It cannot be needles. The reason it cannot be needles is that when you walk around with two needles held in place with a piece of adhesive tape, That's a very big safety issue. Right. In London, we did it in needles with a couple of the patients. And lo and behold, the needles came out and the patient was squirting blood all over the place. So you cannot, and the purpose is to have a guy that can walk with a WAC 3.0 and go to the bank, get on a bus, drive a car. Or go to the office.
1: Well, and do you have to be heparinized? I mean, that's that's a concern. I mean, if your needles come out and you're heparinized, you bleed a little bit uh, faster.
0: Mm-hmm, that's a concern. That's another reason not to use a uh, needles. But the main reason is it's unsafe to use needles. Also, if you're going to do something that you work 24-7, you don't know what needles 24-7 do to a fistula right so well, that isn't that is not going to happen
1: so what um what about concerns of infection of the catheter
0: we know that the, the, we are going to be less likely than other devices to get infected if you have a catheter and you go to the dialysis unit you unlock the catheter and open the circuit and hook it up to the machine you run the dialysis on the dialysis is that you open the circuit again, you take the patient off the machine and cap the catheter, right? Right. So you open and close the catheter twice. If you're doing that three times a week, you open the catheter six times. If you do it a month, you open the catheter 24 times. So there are 24 times opportunity of catheters to go in. With the WAC 3.0, you will have only once a week an opening and a closing. So it will be four times you open, a month you open the catheter, if you do it every week, and not 24 times. So your chances of getting an infection with the WAC 3.0 are about 24 times, and probably not, uh, something like 20 times less of getting an infection.
1: Well, uh, patients would uh, appreciate the fact not having to be stuck. Um, are you able to shower and do the different things that you're, or is it still the same as having a catheter you would need to cover it?
0: Shower, yes. Pegoprain cover will be necessary to shower. The device will be impervious to water, but we will not tell anyone, tell anyone to go to a shower without the nice big sheet of Tegoprene on it. Right. But that's cheap and easy to do.
1: No jumping in swimming pools. <laughs>
0: uh, I don't think you're scuba dive. <laughs> Probably going to go in a pool.
1: Exactly.
0: But, well, you know, the weird dream of a dialysis patient, uh, most of them is to get safely from the gurney to the chair on dialysis, not to go in the pool.
1: Right. Well, and it's it's really difficult to... Sit for four hours for a treatment, so this gives people some um, some leeway. I mean, I was I remember when I was a better gets think, better. Well, when I was fourteen, I remember being thirteen, fourteen. I was in the clinical research center at UCLA when they were trying to figure out the pediatric um, PD system, and I had come off a hemo, and then being able to do the PD exchanges was just like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? I don't have to be on a machine. It was just life-changing mm-hmm. for me. Well, uh, so how does it work with supplies? Like, I know the Next Stage machine, they have um, bags that you hang. What, what kind of supplies do you need with this two-pound device?
0: Well, this device works with only 300 pieces of fluid. So you don't need more than that. And uh, that's all the fluid you need.
1: How much was that again?
0: 300 cc.
1: So you don't need all the supplies? It doesn't, does it like recycle? Oh, no, you don't need
0: other supplies, but not 40 gallons of water.
1: Right. I, I'm, I'm trying to visualize this. So is the hookup pretty simple, just like a hemodialysis machine?
0: No, it's much simpler than that.
1: Well, I know nothing simple about hemodialysis. I, I get that. But I meant, is it kind of the same setup? Or do you just have like a cartridge and you're ready to go and you your catheter hooks up and, and it's ready to go?
0: Your catheter hooks up and you have cartridges that you change once a day. And it takes about 20 seconds to change each cartridge or less. and. Uh, uh, that's it.
1: And do you get the clearances of like phosphorus and uh, the different things just like you do in regular hemodialysis?
0: No, we're much better. Okay. Our data show that with our device, phosphate binders will no longer be necessary.
1: Well, that's a big plus because those are horse pills and they're no fun to take,
0: and they are expensive. Do you know how much is the cost to the taxpayer of a month of of phosphate binders?
1: No, I don't.
0: It's about $1,000 a month. So if you do the math and you see that you have 600,000 patients times 1,000 times 12, that's more than $5 billion a year in savings just in making phosphate binders obsolete.
1: Well, and and so have you found that Potentially, the diet could be more liberal then as a result of this.
0: No, it wouldn't be more liberal. It would be completely free. You can eat whatever you want. In the previous trials, we have pictures of that. We had patients drinking Coca-Cola, ketchup and fries, cheesecake, orange juice, you name it. <laughs> no problems. <laughs>
1: Well, people will want to No we'll just
0: hyperkalemia, be, no hyperfosotinia, nothing.
1: And so, how long are you on this device? Is it just run continuously? Or just like well, your kidneys, or like three days a week or four days a week? You no, no, turn no, it no, 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 no.
0: This is intended to replace the kidneys. When you are healthy, how often do you filter your blood?
1: It doesn't ever stop.
0: <laughs> so, it is 24 7, right?
1: Exactly.
0: 24 times 7 is 168 hours of blood filtration. We stupid people think that if you filter your blood 9 to 12 hours a week, that's good enough instead of 168 hours. And it's not. That's why outcomes are so bad. Right. Because people think, oh, that's the way we do it. Nine hours a week. That's all I want. Duh. Well, your mortality is going to go up, your phosphorus is going to go up, and instead of living another 20 years, if you're 40s and 50s, your life expectancy is five or six years. Why? Because you were foolish enough, and so were the doctors, to think that four hours, or three hours, three times a week is enough. And it isn't.
1: Right. It's just it's just adequate. It's not optimal. And uh we need to str- your kidneys provide optimal care and so if you can find a treatment that find- provides optimal care that's the way to go. Um how many Absolutely. people how many people do you s- uh believe will be in the clinical trial? Cuz I know people listening to this are going to want to be involved.
0: Yeah, but we cannot put all the people in the globe. The next trial is going to be 10 people.
1: Okay. And is there any type, like no other, no other illnesses? Do you have any, um, you know, specifications?
0: There's a lot of uh, inclusion and exclusion criteria for who goes in the trial. And, uh, and we are very careful to go over those criteria. Those have to be approved both by the IRB and by the uh, FDA. And uh, and, uh, we decide jointly with their approval who goes and who doesn't go on the trial. And they have to be uh, healthy. I mean, I cannot put somebody with a terminal cancer on that.
1: Right. I cannot
0: put uh, people that just have a heart attack. I cannot tell them to go home and wear a device if they don't (laughs) understand enough training to be able to train on it.
1: Exactly. As much
0: as you send somebody home, to do dialysis unless you know that they understand what to do with it. So there's a whole bunch of inclusion and exclusion criteria. But also, in as every day somebody sends me an email saying I want to be in that trial, and we cannot take everybody. It has to be people that live in that neighborhood. So if that is in Nashville, then we can't have people that send me an email from Jordan or the Philippines saying, I want to come and be in the trial. You can't.
1: Mm, right. Exactly. And do I
0: give those, tri- those requests? Yes, I do.
1: So how long is the trial? So let's say you recruit 10 patients, and then how long does that trial go on? And then after that trial's done, what do you anticipate the next step?
0: All right. So until we do all the trials, and we may do end up doing one or two patients at a time, depends on how it goes. Uh that will take us about a you know a month or two. And once we're done with that, uh we'll have to study the outcomes, make additional corrections if we have to, and then we plan to do the what we hope will be the last trial, and the last trial will be done in the Brigham uh with Dr. Bonventry. And in that trial uh, we're still discussing what the FDA will want and what we can actually do. it would probably be patients wearing the device for about three weeks. But uh, if the FDA wants three months, and we can do three months, we'll do eventually what the FDA wants. Uh, but uh, this is still being discussed. Well, so it's up in the air, and there's nothing that I can tell you right now that's going to happen. Great.
1: I know. We, we, uh, we're we just guessing, you know, uh, the FDA and different clinical research trial sites work at their own pace. Um, I want to go back to the machine a little bit and, you know, the blood flow. Um, uh, uh, so is the blood flow and catheter size going to be like smaller since it's continuous? Uh,
0: the total blood volume inside the device is about 35 cc. Okay. Which means that, you know, if you're talking about little people like pediatric.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've given more for. I've given more when I went to the transplant clinic.
0: <laughs> I know, but <laughs> 35 cc is all we need. And uh,
1: that's what we, we use. And how fast is the blood flow? The blood flow is about 100 ml per minute. Okay, so it's slow, and then, and then the catheter size—is it like a standard hemodialysis catheter, or is it more like a pick line?
0: Uh, it's going to be like a pick line or a standard catheter because it is a double lumen, and I design it, so it's a little bit different from the Permacath, uh, but it's a double lumen catheter.
1: Okay, and you, you anticipate that would go in like the um, juggler or where, where the chest or...
0: It will go in the juggler and be tunneled under the skin to exit like a permacat, but the permacat usually exits on the chest. So this will be a little longer and exit above the waist so you can hook it up to a belt.
1: I see. I see. So you just tunnel it under the skin down underneath and come out towards, like, where a PD catheter would come out? mm a little bit Maybe to the side that. more or something?
0: Yeah, yeah. You'll see the pictures.
1: Okay. Well, well, this is very exciting, Dr. Gura. I mean, 21 years, 6 hours, and 3 minutes. I'm just making up some time. But um, when do you think, I mean, if, if everything goes as planned, Uh, When do you think this might be available for the market?
0: Well, we hope that after the trial in the brigand, we will get a nod from FDA to make it available to the public. Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, we don't know until they uh, they do. But what I found about FDA is they're pretty reasonable people.
1: Do you believe it'll be this decade?
0: No, I think it's going to be in the next two years, not this decade. What are you talking about?
1: Oh, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just trying to give people a time frame because this gives people a lot of hope that there's new innovation. Yeah,
0: but I am very careful about giving people hope, especially false hopes. Uh, people are very good at going in the internet posting things. We don't do that. We only post things when we have data or material information about the project. So we got a patent, we made that public. If we have research data, we make it public. But we don't want to go around saying, oh, we're building a wearable kidney and people think uh, that, that's going to happen tomorrow because it's not happening tomorrow. Right. And uh, I find it cruel and even inappropriate to go around posting things in the internet for uh, self-promotion. Some people post things in the internet in the hope that uh, somebody will come and write them a check.
1: Speaking of money, um, how are you getting this funded, and do you take private donations?
0: We do take private donations. Uh, we even had a, uh, a foundation. But if somebody... Uh, but, we, you know, uh, funny you ask. Uh, I spent uh, about $7 million of my own private money on this. I've taken money from potential investors and we still do that. NIDDK never funded us, never funded the implantable. I haven't seen NIDDK funding any new dialysis technology. And one day, if you want, you can ask them why. It's not mine. It's not mine to give them an answer.
1: So what do you think at the end of the day, like if you had a magic wand, how much money would help you get this to market?
0: $25 tomorrow.
1: Well, that's the ask for the Appropriations Committee from the kidney community (laughs) for innovation. (laughs) Maybe we need to get it doubled, right? That's what the... uh...
0: Well, we knock on every door we know how to get money. And we continue to do so. Right now, I think we have enough funding to carry out the uh, two trials from investors that have made commitments. Of course, until the money is in the bank, uh, nothing is effective. But right now, we have enough funds to continue building the device that is going to go to the national trial. So uh, that's where we are.
1: You know, this is just awesome, Dr. Gura. Um, You know, on behalf of patients, thank you so much for tirelessly working to improve the care that we receive. And, uh, you know, we'll post some pictures and links and we'll continue to share your journey. Um, I think it's it's very exciting.
0: Thank you so much for your time and patience and for putting me in, in your show.
1: Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network.
0: Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.